Welcome to the podcast of the Renew Community. We strive to be a Jesus community who cares about the things Jesus cares about. As we adapt in this season of pandemic, we are meeting in our house churches in person and online as a primary space for worship, formation, connection, and encouragement. Teachings like this are one way we engage with scripture, seeking to become more like Christ. These Teaching podcasts also serve as a conversation starter for deeper engagement at House Church. We're glad you're listening. Hey, everyone. Happy Easter in August. Uh, We are wrapping up our our time in John this week as we look at John chapter 20 and 21. Uh, The message is Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. it's been really helpful for me uh, as we've journeyed through John. We've been in John for a while, but it's felt like a really important and helpful anchor uh, for me, continuing to draw my attention back to Jesus and to dig deeper into who he is and what that means for who I am. Uh, is an, an important word for me in this season has been steadfast. Uh, the steadfast love of God endures forever. God is steadfast, and that's been something that I felt like the Lord has really been inviting me to lean into with a great deal of uncertainty and all that's going on. um, I've appreciated God's reminder that he is steadfast and being rooted in the gospel of John has really been good for me. in that process. And so as we wrap up here, we're looking at John chapter 20 and 21. Uh, I invite you to, to pause this and, and read those chapters, uh, as we dig in here. Um, what, what happens in John 20 and 21 is we have these beautiful scenes, these beautiful resurrection scenes, and they're all woven together in this beautiful kaleidoscope of who Jesus is and what discipleship looks like. And, and throughout these, these stories, these scenes, you have echoes of what Jesus has said, what he has taught, what he has done, and what he has what he has promised. And all of it is for this purpose. John writes at the end of chapter 20, these are written so that you may have faith, that you may continue to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And that faithing, you may have life in his name. All of what John has written is for the purpose of engendering faith in Jesus. And the purpose of faith in Jesus is to have life, eternal life, abundant life in right, intimate, obedient relationship with him as the Lord of our life. And so John writes all of these these stories, all of these uh, recordings of Jesus' appearance for that purpose uh, to renew faith. And so scene one is uh, the empty tomb. And it starts off early on the first morning while it was still dark. And right away we have these echoes, these echoes back to John 1. The word Jesus gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. An echo of Jesus declaring, I am the light of the world. And on the first day, John writes, this is an echo of creation in Genesis, but not merely an echo because this isn't that first day. This is the new first day. This is renewal. 
a new creation has been inaugurated because of Jesus' incarnation, his death, and his resurrection, which brings new life, new creation. And we have this discipleship community. It's Mary Magdalene who gets there first, but then she goes and tells Simon Peter and the beloved disciple. And then they have this foot race to the tomb. And, and, you know, we could maybe see this as a, maybe a bit of friendly competition. And maybe there's a bit of humor that we might be able to appreciate. Uh, It seems like John's kind of saying, Hey, Peter, uh, remember that time when we had that foot race? Yeah. You remember who got there first? Oh yeah, it was me. Yep, I'm a little bit faster than you, Peter. Uh, but beyond that, there's there's this beautiful interplay here in the way they are encountering this encountering this resurrection miracle together. The way in which they're discovering, the way in which they're trying to figure it out, and the way in which discipleship is happening, the way in which faith is being uh, blossomed and renewed throughout these stories. And so as they enter, they see the tomb is empty, just as Mary has said, and the grave clothes are lying there with the headcloth wrapped up. And this is a, is significant for several reasons. One, it, it gives us a strong indication of, of those who said the body was stolen. Well, if the body was stolen, um, they probably wouldn't have taken the time to even take off the grave clothes, let alone fold them up and place them neatly uh, back on the stone. But more importantly than that, these grave clothes, John's details about this is an echo to John 11. As Lazarus comes out of his tomb, Jesus says, unwrap him, leave the grave clothes behind. And you may remember Doug's teaching on that. Um, But here we have Jesus who has left the grave clothes behind because he is the resurrection and the life just as he said he was. He hasn't just left the clothes behind. He hasn't just left the grave clothes behind. He's left death itself behind. Can I get an amen? (laughs) And so this, just the empty tomb and these grave clothes, these engender faith in the beloved disciple. It says he saw and he believed. Um, And this is beautiful because he's already had this close relationship with Jesus. And so he's already inclined to faith because of what he's seen and experienced with Jesus. And so seeing the grave clothes left behind in the empty tomb renews his faith. It's all the assurance that he needs for now. He doesn't need to see Jesus. He doesn't need to hear from Jesus. Seeing what he has seen has blossomed new faith in him. Now, faith is dynamic, and there will be other encounters, other experiences that will both test the faith and will reassure the faith. And this is true for all of us. But this moment, this experience has renewed and blossomed faith in the beloved disciple. And then we come to scene two. Peter and John have left, and Mary's sticking around. And scene two is Mary and the gardener. But first, Mary looks in the tomb and and she sees these angels. And again, I feel like there's a bit of almost humor in this that like Mary has very little reaction to these angels, these celestial beings. And and she's she's not astonished. She's not perplexed by these supernatural beings. She's just kind of almost this ho-hum response. It kind of feels like maybe her head is just spinning. She's experiencing a tremendous deal of grief, um, confused what's going on. There's shock from all that she's witnessed and, and why isn't Jesus' body here? But it's really amazing how tenderly the angels meet her 
in that grief. Why are you weeping, woman? Why are you weeping? And John also writes that the angels are sitting one at the head and one at the foot. And again, we have echoes, echoes of John 1 51, where Jesus says uh, to the disciples, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Heaven has been opened up. So the angels are there. And then Jesus himself meets her tenderly, but she thinks he's the gardener. And so we, we have again an echo of God in the garden with Eve and with Adam. And now this scene, this is new creation. A new garden has been created. And Jesus meets her just as tenderly. Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And this is an important question echoing back to John 1 again and Jesus' invitation to the first disciples. And it's an important question for us. Who are we looking for? Who do we believe Jesus to be? And will we meet him on his terms or, or do we have our own picture of him? And does that picture sometimes keep us from seeing who he really is? And so there's this beautiful narrative tension here. We know it's Jesus as the reader, but Mary doesn't. And, and so there's, when will she recognize him? When will she recognize him? And it's the moment that Jesus speaks her name, Mary. It's then that she recognizes him, which has this beautiful echoes again of Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The good shepherd knows his sheep by name and they recognize his voice. We have a beautiful picture of this with Jesus and Mary. And faith is renewed when Jesus calls her by name. And she responds, Rabboni, which is this personal form of rabbi, my teacher. There's this more relational, um, there's this closeness in the word. And her weeping has turned to joy, just as Jesus promised it would in his farewell address to his disciples. And then we have this kind of uh, confusing statement where Jesus says, do not cling to me. And it's kind of feels a little abrupt, like Jesus, what are, what are you what are you doing here? Uh, but John is is communicating something in his gospel. He's he's communicating something theologically significant, but he's trying to do that within a narrative framework. Uh, and so, what he's communicating here is that Jesus' mission and his glorification, which is has been presented throughout, isn't just incarnation the word become flesh. It isn't just crucifixion. It isn't just Jesus dying and it isn't just resurrection. And it's not even just all three of those. It also includes ascension because Jesus is the way to the father. And so his ascension, his return to God is vital for opening up heaven and opening up the intimate relationship of the Father and the Son to us. He's opened that up. His ascension is vital for that, which is why he says, I'm going to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. Don't cling to me yet because this relationship has not been completed and hasn't been opened up to you until I return to the Father. And when I do, that's when you can have the same relationship uh, that I have with God. 
And this blossoms faith, this engenders faith, renews faith in Mary as she goes to the disciples declaring, I have seen the Lord and gives them the message that Jesus gave her. Her weeping has turned to joy. Faith has been renewed. Which moves us to scene three. And again, John wants to remind us, this is on the first day. And now the disciples are locked in a room for fear. They have lots of reasons to fear. Jesus has been crucified. Could they be next on the religious leaders hit list? But Jesus appears to them in their midst and says, peace be with you. And he shows them his wounds. It's significant that he shows them his wounds. The resurrected Jesus is also still the incarnate Jesus. He is still the word made flesh. And they need to know it's him and that all that they've seen is true. And again, we have echoes of his promise in the farewell address as he says, peace be to you. This promise, this promise of peace that Jesus gave in the farewell address is fulfilled in his defeat of death. It speaks to their fears. He has overcome the world and through his overcoming, these words of peace are not merely words. They are reality. And so the disciples were filled with joy. Again, Jesus promised grief will be turned to joy. Sorrow has turned to joy as Jesus promises to his disciples continue to be fulfilled. And then he also gives them a commission as the father has sent me. So I am sending you echoing John 17, 18, Jesus gives them purpose and power as he gives them the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them, echoing Genesis 2-7, when God breathed breath into the first human. This is recreation. This is renewal. This is new life because of Jesus' incarnation, his death, his resurrection. God breathed life. And so he gives them power to proclaim him, to bear witness to the forgiveness of sin through him. And, and this statement, again, may, may be a little bit confusing. I, I, I'll be honest, I don't fully understand what, what Jesus is suggesting. But in John, the way John talks about sin, the way Jesus talks about sin in John's gospel is primarily in regards to believing Jesus or not. So sin is rejection of God a rejection of the revelation of God. Um, and so it's, it's more about that overall rejection of God and, and God's revelation than it is about um, some specific moral misbehavior, some moral transgression or behavioral transgression. It's more about belief. It's more about faith. Do you receive God or do you not? If you do not, then you are in sin and there is judgment. But if you receive him by faith. And so what, what Jesus is communicating, part of what Jesus is communicating here is that um, the, the disciples are to continue Jesus' work of revealing him, of making him known. They are offering forgiveness of sin as they make him known. But if people don't receive him, then they will remain in sin. So as Galadai puts it, to have sin is to be blind to the revelation of God in Jesus. So it is the paraclete's work to convict the world of sin, to reveal God. He does this through the disciples' testimony. And judgment comes when Jesus is either received by faith or rejected. 
And so Jesus commissions his disciples to bear witness with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus comes to him again, faith is engendered in the disciples as they go saying, we have seen the Lord. They've received joy. Their sorrow has turned to joy. They've received the spirit. They've received peace. They've received power. Their faith has been renewed. But we move to scene four. And I want to title this scene, Faithing Thomas. Um, Now, Thomas wasn't with them when Jesus first appeared, and he doesn't believe their testimony at face value. And Thomas gets a bad rap as a doubter, (laughs) doubting Thomas. But can we really blame him? I mean, this is pretty unbelievable stuff. And he wants, not just wants, he needs to see and feel. And I appreciate Thomas's honesty about what he needs for faith. And the even more beautiful thing is that Jesus meets him in that place because Jesus wants Thomas to have faith. And it's, it's striking what Thomas needs. He needs to see the wounds. He needs to know that the suffering he witnessed Jesus undergo was real. And could it possibly be that God could overcome such suffering? This is deeply profound to me. The resurrected Jesus, the risen Lord is still the incarnate one. He is the word made flesh. This is astounding on multiple levels. God. God was wounded. God suffered. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he still bore those wounds. They weren't uh, miraculously removed from his body. He still bore those wounds because those wounds minister to people who are suffering they ministered to Thomas. And part of me wonders if, if Thomas had his own deep wounds and because of his own wounds, maybe he needed to touch Jesus's wounds. Maybe he just needed to know the deepest of empathy that God had for him, that God could possibly provide. We all have wounds. Some are deep and still feel gapingly painful. The God we faith in, the resurrected Lord, is a wounded Savior, a wounded healer. And Jesus invites Thomas to reach out and touch his wounds. Don't slide past this. Oh, that doubting Thomas. No, this is deep. This is deep, and we need to sit here and stay a while with the wounded Savior who invites us to touch his wounds, to know his suffering, to know the depths of God's love for us in order that we might experience his healing and have faith renewed. Now, now some, say, some translations have Jesus saying, stop doubting and believe. But, but the words for doubt or unbelieving and believe are not verbs in the Greek. They're adjectives. And, and as I've mentioned before, they're, they're related to the, the same word for faith. They're the word for faith, 
but we don't typically think of faith as maybe an adjective. So there are adjectives related to faith, but there are adjectives that have the word faith. And, and I think, uh, I'm not as, as wise as Bible translators, but I think this actually is more literally don't be faithless, but faithful. Jesus wants Thomas to have faith. He wants him to be full of faith. And Thomas's response is beautiful. My Lord and my God, a deep, I believe, I want to be faithful. A profound declaration of faith echoing once again back to John 1 and Jesus' first invitation to, to his disciples. And they are discovering who he is. And now that faith has made, been made full because they have seen the resurrected Jesus Thomas's faith is renewed. It is made full. And Jesus then blesses everyone who faiths without seeing him face to face, without being able to touch him literally as Thomas has. And so Jesus blesses us in this. Jesus blesses you to engender and renew faith in you. And then we, we, we moved to scene five in chapter 21, and this is a boatload of fish and a fishy breakfast. Uh, this is a post-resurrection miracle. The resurrected Christ is still a miracle performing Christ. There is again continuity between the incarnate Jesus and the risen Jesus. He has all the power and authority, and, and he continues to demonstrate his power to renew faith. It is the Lord, the beloved disciple says, when they have this boatload of faith. He knows, he faiths because of his relationship with Jesus. He knows that this must be Jesus to perform such a miracle. And then Jesus invites them to breakfast, fish and bread. Now, we may not think that's such an, an appetizing breakfast, but um, actually just yesterday, I, I heard someone who, who was having tuna for breakfast. I'm not going to mention any names. They know who they are. Um, but uh, maybe this Sunday, maybe this Sunday, as you prepare for house church, you could make yourself a tuna sandwich and enjoy it as a resurrection breakfast with Jesus. And there, there are actually Jesus followers who practice this regularly as a resurrection meal, fish and bread, a different sort of communion, a communion with the resurrected Jesus to remember the risen Christ. But again, in this miracle, in this breakfast story, we have an echo, an echo of Jesus multiplying the loaves and the fish because he is the bread of life. He is the provider and he invites us to fellowship with him and have our faith renewed. And then we, we move into this scene six, reconciled and restored. We have this very deep and signif significant story that shows us Jesus' desire for, to always draw us to him. And to confront our sin and shame and draw us back into discipleship and relationship and to remind us that he gives us purpose. Now, the layers of this story are, are deep and, and I'm sure this story is um, familiar. This conversation is familiar. Um, I, I actually, I, I love this story. I think I've preached on it several times within Renew. Um, 
And I think it's a, actually a beautiful conversation to actually journal uh, as you enter into prayer with Jesus and just have Jesus ask you that question. Do you love me? And then you respond and, and you go from there and experiencing this conversation. But, but the stories in this text are deep. And, and I'm actually drawn back to Peter on the boat and, and Peter is on the boat naked and he puts on his clothes to swim to Jesus, which is kind of funny to get dressed and then jump into the water. But um, it's not it, it's not uncommon. It wasn't uncommon. It's pretty normal for fishermen to to fish naked, um, and it makes sense that he would want to get dressed before he goes to see Jesus. And and so maybe this is just John providing details um, that that makes sense. They're they're pretty. They're nothing out of the normal. And they just add to the narrative picture to G, to John's storytelling, but but I also sense echoes of Genesis two and three in this story. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Then they eat the fruit and they are ashamed. Shame and sin have eaten into their identity. Adam and Eve are no longer enough. That was the lie that they believed, that they weren't enough, that they were missing something, that they needed something more to be like God in order to be in relationship with God. And so now they've eaten it and they realize they are naked and they feel shame. They no longer feel they can be in God's presence. They try to hide. They try to clothe themselves. Shame is isolating and tells us we are not worthy of another's relationship. But the healing of shame requires the leaning into relationship. And so to Peter's credit, he jumps out of the boat to get to Jesus. But as is the case with shame, there is this tentativeness. Is it really okay for me to approach Jesus? Will he reject me because of my failure? But Jesus presses into that shame, receives Peter, and enters into this conversation, not to be mean, not to push Peter away, but to draw him close, to heal, to restore, to reconcile. He asks him three times, just as Peter denied him three times. And this hurts Peter. It's painful, but Jesus isn't trying to hurt him. But in dealing with his failure and dealing with his shame, it is hurtful. Jesus invites Peter through this process to restore him so that Peter will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that his shame will not keep him from Jesus. And so Jesus renews Peter's faith as he restores him. And he reminds both Peter and all of Jesus' disciples, all of us, of our calling to demonstrate our love for Jesus by our care for other people. Uh, it echoes his command to his disciples, just as I have loved you, so also you must love one another. And he warns Peter that this call to discipleship is costly because Jesus laid down his life for us. And he calls us to do the same, to lay down our lives for the sake of others. That in doing so, we experience the fullness of the life of relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in life-giving love. And Jesus says, follow me. 
again, echoing back to John 1, but it's this invitation that Jesus continues to, to extend to us. It's an echo of Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me. Jesus offers us what we need for faith and invites us to follow him. It won't be easy. It requires sacrifice and laying down our life, but it is an invitation to receive real, true, everlasting life in a faithing, loving relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the scene closes with a comparison of Peter. Peter gets distracted as he sees the, the beloved disciple. And throughout these scenes, we have different pictures and echoes of Jesus, but we also have different pictures of the disciples, each needing something different for renewed faith. They are a community. And they also have unique needs and unique paths in following Jesus. So there's a, there's a unity that they have, but there's also a uniqueness that they have. There's Peter, who is the enthusiastic and bold one, but he's also the one who has stumbled and failed. And we have a reminder that Jesus isn't afraid of our failure. We will stumble too, but Jesus meets us and restores us and extends us the invitation to keep on following him. There's Mary Magdalene, the devoted, the devoted disciple, the one who is loyal to the end, the first one to the tomb. She's also racked with grief and confusion, but she knows the voice of the good shepherd when he calls her name. Thomas, the one who wants more, the one who needs to see and feel, the one who wants to be sure. And I think the one who wants to know that Jesus understands his own wounds. Yet he's also the one with the bold and definitive declaration of Jesus' true identity. In the picture of the beloved disciple throughout here, who is the picture of the intimate relationship Jesus desires for each of us, to know ourselves as the disciple whom Jesus loves. So all of these scenes, we can see ourselves and we can see Jesus reaching out to us to renew our faith. Jesus, the word that was with God in the beginning and through whom all things were created. Jesus, the light shining into darkness, the miracle working winemaker. Jesus, the one lifted up that all may be healed, the unique Son of God sent to bring faith and life. Jesus, the Messiah, the giver of living water, the healer and restorer, the Son who is one with the Father. Jesus, the provision multiplier, the bread of life, the teacher, the thirst quencher, the light of the world the forgiver, the I am, the son who sets us free, the eye opener, the good shepherd, the life, the resurrection, and the resurrector. Jesus, the anointed king who serves and washes feet. Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, the giver of the Holy Spirit, the giver of peace. Jesus, the vine that bears good fruit, the one who lays down his life because of the depth of his love. 
the one who overcomes the world, Jesus, the high priest, Jesus, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus, the wounded and crucified one, Jesus, the resurrected one, the ascended one, Jesus, the Lord. May he renew your faith that you may have life in him. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Renew Community. This in no way should replace the formation within a community of Jesus followers. If you are looking for a church, would like more information about Renew, or would like to give financially to this ministry, check out our website at renewcommunity.org.